starting a summer sermon series today on food in the Bible. It's not really going to be a series about eating food and what you should and shouldn't eat. But what I find in the scripture is kind of fascinating is that food is a major theme. How many of the stories of the Bible happen around meals? How many of the metaphors are about fruit or about bread, about wine? Um, How many of the Bible is about what you should and shouldn't eat? And why does the Bible say those things? And so this summer, we're going to sort of tell the story of the Bible, the major themes of the Bible, but through the lens of food. And we're starting right in the beginning. If you have a Bible with you or on your iPhone or something, you can turn to Genesis. I'm going to read a couple verses out of Genesis 2 and then the beginning part of Genesis 3. We're going to be thinking about fruit today. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat For in that day that you eat it, you will surely die. Now we're in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord has made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Notice, actually, God didn't say that. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. He only said you couldn't eat it. But the serpent said to the woman, You will will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig, tree, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and the woman and said to them, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And we'll stop right there. Normally when we approach this text, and I've preached this text before, the debates are fairly focused. Sometimes the debate is on the historicity of this text. Did this text actually happen? Was there a literal Adam and Eve? This debate comes out of the debates of the beginning two chapters. Are those literal stories? How do we understand those? Sometimes these texts are preached as huge theological implications. 
That this is the start of sinful nature. And, and while that's true, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, it's interesting to note that the Bible itself makes almost no reference to this passage. Throughout the rest of the Bible, there's reference to Adam, but not really specifically to this story. Today, I want to look at it through the viewpoint of food. And what I want to suggest to you is that what's really amazing about this story, taken at face value, is its amazing description of the human condition. This text, probably better than anything I've ever read, talks about why people do the things that they do. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates and He says it's good, it's right. It has a certain shalom, a certain peace, a certain rightness to it. And when God makes human beings, suddenly those are very good because they are made in God's image. And He puts them in the garden and and He tells them a few things. First of all, He uses a metaphor of food to describe what their work is supposed to be. To produce and to reproduce. To produce things in the garden, to subdue it, to make it better, to order it, to structure it, and to reproduce, to have children, to have more and more people like you. And so the very first metaphor that the people get is a food metaphor. And in the garden, God takes care of the food problem. He says, there's all these trees, you can partake. You don't have to work to find food in the garden because it's everywhere. Two specific trees are given. The tree of life that you eat and stay alive. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which you're not allowed to partake of. Now in the story it doesn't actually describe this tree very well for us. It just sort of says that it's there. It doesn't really say what it does. The Bible makes no other reference to it. Except that in the Bible this phrase knowing good and evil comes up several times. Always not about people. It's always about God. That this is an attribute of God. That God knows good and evil. The understanding is that because God is right and perfect and made the world. God is in the position to evaluate what is good and what is bad. What should happen and what should not happen. He is the criteria himself and he is the only one that can judge that. Now, why does God put this tree in the garden, this this tree that is forbidden? The text doesn't seem to want to answer that, and I'm not sure that we can either. But what we do see in this text is a portrayal of this innocence and intimacy with God. God walks around. He talks to human beings. He's close to human beings. And they're naked and they're not ashamed. In fact, God says, who told you that you were naked? Think about how weird that really is. No one in here has probably had the experience of being naked and not being aware of it until somebody else pointed it out. Unless you had some really crazy college days. We are so aware that we're naked. We're so aware that we're flawed. We're so aware that we should be ashamed. But in the garden, it's not like that. The story portrays it as them being so close to God. They're innocent, like children. It takes a little while for children to really understand that they're naked. I I will tell you this because I have them at home. And they're not ashamed for a little while. It's not till later that the shame tends to come in. They can have fun working the garden. It's not the same kind of labor. And God provides the food that they need. But suddenly, 
something falls apart. Satan comes and lies to Eve, starts to question God's goodness. Does God really care about you? Or is God telling you when you can't have that tree that you're, you're not good enough? That you're missing out? Satan lies and Eve and Adam take the bait. They sin. Now, we don't understand this word sin because we don't, we don't use it a lot of times the right way. The word sin is really an archery term. The word sin really means to miss the mark. Okay, so if you think about an archery target, you're aiming for the bullseye. The amount that you are away from the bullseye or even off the target if you shoot archery like me, the more you sin. And so it seems to us initially like this is... This is an overreaction from God. All they did was take that fruit. But you see, they've missed God's perfect plan. We like to compare sins. We like to say, oh, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I've never killed anybody, we hope, in this room. But the reality is, we all miss the mark because the mark is God's perfection. In fact, Adam and Eve miss it very strongly here because when they take of that fruit... Their temptation is to be like God. Their temptation is an out-and-out rebellion against God. God, you used to make the decisions. You used to have the control. And I used to just trust you. But now I'm going to do it my way. It's an open rebellion against God. And the, the text says that there are results of this act and there are consequences. Suddenly, the results... Suddenly they're shame. Suddenly they know they're naked. Suddenly they're worried about what other people thought. That didn't used to be part of the equation. All that mattered was what God thought. And if God thought I was good, that was fine. But now I have to start making that evaluation for myself. Suddenly there's anxiety. I'm scared. For the first time ever, Adam and Eve hear God coming and they're afraid and they hide. This is new. Because I didn't need to be anxious when I trusted God, but now that I'm God, now that I get to make the decisions, I have to worry about whether I make the right ones or not. There's distance from God. There's blame in comparison. All of a sudden, they, they know they're wrong. So what does, Eve, what does Adam do? God, this woman that you gave me, it's the woman's fault. Or even, God, it's your fault because you gave me that woman. And what does Eve say? Well, that serpent came along. See, there didn't used to have to be blame. Because we didn't used to care what people thought. All that mattered is what God said. And God said we were good. But now Adam and Eve have to make that call. And they are afraid to do it. And they start blaming others. And so there are consequences. If you keep reading in the text, the serpent is cursed. But interestingly enough, if you read the text carefully, Adam and Eve are not cursed. The ground is cursed because of them. But they are not cursed for eternity the way the serpent is and the way the ground is. In fact, the text said that in the day that they were supposed to eat of that fruit, they died. They would die, but in fact, God's grace lets them continue. But there is this separation from God. They have to leave the garden. And what breaks? What breaks is the fruit that they are supposed to be producing. The fruit of production. Now you're going to have to work for your food. It's not just going to be on every tree. It's going to have thorns and thistles. You're going to have to work your way through this life. And when you go to reproduce, there's going to be a lot of toil, a lot of heartache, 
Not just in the labor itself, but I think in miscarriages, in difficulties with pregnancy. See, there was peace in the garden. A simple trust for God's provision. But Adam and Eve wanted that fruit because they wanted to be God. But they can't be God because they sin. They miss the mark. Some of us maybe more than others, but we all miss the mark. And so Adam and Eve have to continue trying to make right decisions and value judgments, trying to get back to the way things should be. And the reality is that you and I are still partaking in that same fruit today. We try to make our own decisions. We try to go our own way. And you know what? There's a ton of anxiety because of it. We worry and we compare with others. And we feel ashamed when we don't live up to others' expectations. We tire out from the work that we do. This is why you don't want to get up in the morning some mornings. This is why we have broken relationships This is why we worry so much about what other people think. Because ultimately we have taken the place of God. And so we try to save ourselves. Like self-help. Making goals. Thinking positive. Maybe if I just work a little harder. Maybe if I just made a little bit more. Maybe we think we're going to save ourselves and fix this problem through other people. If only my kids could have a good life. Then everything would be worth it. Almost every divorce, I think probably every divorce I have ever been around or heard from, at one of the main things that was going on in that divorce was one or both of the people in the relationship thought the other person was going to make them happy and was going to save them and make their life perfect. And when it didn't work out, it fell apart. But a marriage can't make you holy because that person's a sinner too. Maybe we think we can get a good reputation or at least put on a good front for other people. Maybe we can be saved if we just get the next job, the fame, the vacations. Maybe if we could just feel good about ourselves, then we'd be okay. And the sad part is that even as Christians, we do this. We make Christianity about saving ourselves. The church can become a way of us continuing to be God. If only we could go to church more. If only we knew the right theology. If only we read our Bible more. If only we were more spiritual and could pray more. But it can't work like that. Religion cannot be the means of saving yourselves. Christianity is not about putting yourself together. That is the fruit that got us here in the first place. This is where religion can be very tricky. Because if you look at these pews right now, we could have two people in the same pews, singing the same hymns, going through the same motions of our faith. One of them is doing it to save themselves, while the other is changing and moving in gratitude for the one who really saved them. And that is the trap that we can fall into as Christians. Christianity is about trusting God once again, like they did in the garden. That God is better at being God than we are. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? A little later he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, God gives us grace. He starts there in the garden, but we know the whole story. We know that Jesus comes. And because He never sinned, 
He never missed the mark. When he took the punishment for sin, he was able to right our relationship with God. This is the good news. This is what the gospel is all about. We can go back to trusting God once again. In fact, God goes a step further. This Sunday is Pentecost. That's why we've got red everywhere. We got the Holy Spirit, which means God starts to fix our production and our reproduction. God has work for us to do, fruit for us to produce, right? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now we can reproduce our faith in another generation. Let me try to tell a story from a book called Recovering Redemption by Matt Chandler and Ed Snetzer, and I think will help you. Nina was a mother of four, none of them over the age of five. She and her husband had the perfect marriage, so everyone thought. They had the nice little family, they were paying the bills on the house. They'd had some tough patches, but their Ken and Barterby world was pretty well together. Then one day Nina got a call from her husband saying, hey, I'm not coming home. And she said, well, are you eating dinner somewhere else? Are you on a business trip? And he said, no, you don't understand. I'm never coming home. Perfect world comes crashing down. But Nina soldiered on. I mean, you do that for your kids, right? You keep going. You learn to live with betrayal and fatigue. Those long nights, self-pity, awkward conversations. One evening as she sat in church feeling very angry because church had become just another thing she was trying to keep up and she couldn't keep up everything. She looked over and saw an envelope just sitting in the pew and she's not listening to anything going on. She started to fold it and then kind of started to rip it. Kind of thing she would have gotten really mad at her kids for doing in church, but she ripped it and she, then she felt this this sort of sense, this, this sort of voice saying, tear it more. And she, she thought, that the Lord is calling me to tear this envelope more, which is not something the Lord normally does. And the Lord had never spoken to her this way, but she felt it pretty strongly. And so quietly in church, looking around, she started to rip it. And she started to rip it some more. And when she finally got it down to just little bitty pieces, she felt the Lord say, now put it back together. And she said, it'll never, ever go back together. It can't go back together. And then she felt the Lord say, but that's what you're trying to do, Nina, isn't it? You're trying to put yourself and your life and your world back together. And it's not going to happen. Not without me. And so she pondered. She held that envelope in her hands. And thought about how she, even in her church going, was trying to get her life back together. And it was never going to work. And so she began to just hold it there. And to imagine those little strips of paper as her life being offered back up to God. Saying, you be God because I'm not doing it very well. And folks, this is I think what Christianity is really about. It's a moment of trust. It's a moment of giving it to God. Because if we're trying to fix it ourselves, we're just eating the same fruit that got us here in the first place. But what happens then is God starts to move and fix and work in our lives as we respond. Christianity does not work as a self-help, a self-help activity. You're going to get better. You're going to mature, but it's going to be because of something the Holy Spirit does. In gratitude, you're going to respond. 
but not to save yourself. It's time for us to return to a place of innocence and dependence just like the garden. Only then will we produce the really good fruit that God has for us in our lives. So here's what we're going to do right before I pray. I want everybody to hold your hands like this. Hold them up. And imagine a, little, a bunch of pieces of paper that are your life that you've been trying to piece together. Little pieces that you've been trying to hold on to, to tape and glue and staple back together. And we're going to pray and just yield those over to God. Repeat after me. Lord, I yield. You are a better God than I am. Be Lord in my life. Forgive me of those areas where I'm trying to save myself. I yield. I give up. Save me. Amen.